Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubic. So, but we've been talking about the vintage church, trying to answer the singular question, why was the church, the early church, the vintage church, so much more powerful than what we see today? Both corporately and independently, individually. And so we're going to continue to answer that question today by talking about the early church understood worship. The early church understood worship. If you're taking notes today, I want you to to write down, at the very least, the bullet points that I give you. Because I want you to move beyond this place to worship. If this is the only place that you worship, then you don't know how to worship. You don't know what worship is, and you're not worshiping according to the will of God. Worship is a lifestyle. You're going to hear me say that several times. But worship is a lifestyle. It is literally who we should be. This is what the early church understood, that no matter where they were, what they were doing, they were people of worship. Worship, this is the definition as I've written it, the release of the imagination, the bowing of the innermost spirit before Him in deepest humility, service, and reverence. Does that sound like something we need to be doing just at church? No, it sounds like it's something we need to be doing all the time. We need to bow before Him in deep humility, service, and reverence. In reverence. It is an all-encompassing, all-consuming, active awareness of the presence of God. That's a lot of words to say your worship should be all-consuming. Because God is ever-present. And we can't worship if we're not humble. We can't worship if we're not people of service. And we can't worship if we don't understand the God we're worshiping, which should bring us to a point of reverence. One of the biggest problems with the church today is we forgot the holiness of God. We have have forgotten that the God that struck people down in the Old Testament, that in fact struck people down by the power of the Holy Spirit, even in the New Testament, is still the God that's alive today. He hasn't changed at all. We need to get on our face in humility, service, and reverence and be people of worship regardless of where we are. And so we're going to talk about that today. That this, this active awareness of God, is an at-all-times thing for the believer. You don't ever get to set your service aside. You don't ever get to set your humility aside. You don't ever get to set your reverence aside. Because there's no place that God isn't. And if God is in a place, you should be all of those things in all of those places. We're going to cover that in just a few moments. But we need to recognize that. I'm going to read to you out of John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 20 but let me give you a little bit of background what's happening there's a lady at a well woman at mary is what this section is titled but there's a woman at the well she's there in the middle of the day to draw water she's there in the middle of the day because 
she has led up to this point a lifestyle of shame. And she's been rejected by her people. She's been married five times and they've, they've rejected her. She's not allowed to go or wasn't allowed to go or didn't feel comfortable going to draw water out of the well when everybody else did. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like the world has rejected you because of who you used to be? Can I tell you, we worship God because He has caused us to no longer walk in shame, no longer walk in condemnation. We can go to the well that is Christ Jesus anytime we want to, day or night, without fear of condemnation. Totally not the point, but it's beautiful anyway. So she's there and she's drawing water and she has a chance encounter, and I say chance encounter, with Jesus. Although it wasn't a chance encounter, it says that he had to go by way of Samaria. When in fact he didn't have to go by way of Samaria, there were two roads that he could have taken. The Jewish road and the Samaritan road. And he decided to take the, the more dangerous route, which was the Samaritan road, because he had to. The only reason he would have had to is because he had an appointment, according to the will of God, to have a conversation with this woman. My wife said many years ago that she, she believes that if she was the only person on earth, Jesus would have had to have come for her because of his love for her. Isn't that beautiful? And so he meets her at this well and starts to talk to her and discuss with her who, who she was and asked her, who is your husband or go get your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. I've had, he said, that's right, you've had five husbands. And the one that you're married to right now, or the one that you're with right now, you're not married to. And she starts to feel conviction. Do you think it's possible that Jesus Christ is going to talk to you about your sin and you not be convicted? No. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, talk to you about your sin, you're going to get convicted. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. But this woman does what so many of us do when we feel conviction. Especially when it comes out of the mouth of someone else. We change the subject and start debating religion. Which is what she starts doing. She's feeling convicted. She goes, so she starts talking about, well, this well and my forefathers and we served here and we, can, we worship on the mountain. You guys worship in Jerusalem. And so she decides she wants to argue religion instead of deal with her conviction. It's time the church stops arguing about religion and starts dealing with the personal conviction we have in our life. That's bonus material too. That's a, that's a whole other teaching. And then this happens. He says this. Woman, in verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is. Everybody say, and now is. Jesus was declaring himself to her. And now is when the true worshipers will come, the Father and the Spirit and truth, 
For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. I want you to pay attention to something. Our worship must be everywhere or it is nowhere. That's a pretty declarative statement. But I want you to hear it. Our worship must be everywhere or it was nowhere. He says, you worship on this mountain. We worship in Jerusalem. There'll be a time, and yet that time has even come now, where it won't matter. Is he prohibiting worship on the mountaintop? Or is he prohibiting worship in Jerusalem? No, he's saying a time was coming where you won't have to go there to worship. There's a time coming when you're going to be expected to worship even when you're not on the mountaintop. And I'm going to principalize this text. So many of us are willing to worship on the mountain. Life is good, everything's great, I've got no problems, praise God, He's worthy of worship, but can I tell you, He's worthy of worship in the valley too. If you can worship Him in the valley because of who He is, which we're going to talk about in just a few moments, you can worship Him in the mountaintop and the valley. I say you're more blessed in the valley. I have a buddy of mine that put on Facebook some months ago. His name's Reggie, or, or Donez. I never get his last name right. But he says, we despise the valley. Stop it. The valley has more water. The valley has more vegetation. The valley has more food. The valley has everything that you need to give you the strength to get to the mountaintop. He's not declaring don't pray in the mountaintop, but can I tell you we have to pray everywhere. He's not declaring don't pray in Jerusalem. He's saying pray also in Jerusalem, but don't let the church, which is what the Jerusalem held, was the temple, the place where the sacrifices were made, where the songs were sung, where the offerings were given, all of these things where God manifested His presence to His people, specifically the high priest, Don't just worship in Jerusalem. Don't just worship in your church. If this is the only place that you're worshiping, and I'm going to say it again, if you're not worshiping everywhere, you're worshiping nowhere. I'd love a good worship set as much as the next guy. I love a good three songs and out, let's get to preaching on. But can I tell you, that's not worship? Only? Us coming together in fellowship and having conversations. Because we all belong to the same God. That's worship. Us giving, that's worship. It's a service. It's a humility. And according to what Trent said, it's a reverence. And understanding that we serve a God that is so big that it doesn't matter what we give to Him, He promises to give it back to us. That He's not going to allow us to beg for bread. Worship is everything that's done here but it's not just done here. It's anywhere that the temple is. You know the great thing about a New Testament believer? You're the temple. I could prove that in Scripture to you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That God has come, just like He did in the Old Testament temple. He has come and manifested His presence in you. Man, we should be excited about that. A holy, eternal, all-powerful God has determined to send His Spirit to live 
inside of us. That your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. I love that last piece because I'm a bit of a linearist. A lineal, I'm linear thinking. I'm not sure what that, how that plays out. But I'm, I think very linear in, in fashion. And so if we're the temple, if God lives in us, then we are not our own. And so when God and the Word tells us that we are to be people of worship, guess what? You don't belong to you. He's not saying, man, if you feel like it today, why don't you give me a shout out when you get out of bed? Maybe before you eat, say a little prayer. He's not saying that. He said, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, worship me. Everything you do for the glory of God is what the Bible says. To glorify God in your life and everything that you do is to worship Him. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to break the idea over us that the worship set, the singing set is is honored and glorified and lifted up as God is in it and as horribly grateful as I am for the team that God has given us if that's your only worship you don't understand worship worship is your life a sacrifice of everything you are to an omnipotent God an all loving all knowing all seeing God amen and this is what the early church understood. That God can be worshipped wherever God is by His Spirit because of His truth. And so in verse 24, it reads like this. 24 through 26. God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Imagine that. We get so used to people saying, Lord spoke to me. Lord said this to me. They've been waiting on a Messiah since the last prophet 400 years ago. This woman is a Samaritan. Didn't really have any chance or hope of meeting the Messiah except that he chased her down. He had to go see her. He had to be with her. He had to have a conversation with her because it was God's will to do it. And he says... I who speak to you am he. Man, that's, that gets me on my face. That should get us all on our face because he hasn't just had this conversation with this woman. He's had this conversation with every person in this room. Everybody at some point has heard the Messiah is coming, that he'll be the Christ. And at some point, the Spirit of God dealt with you and says I am he I feel like I just sit down after that that was good right there that's just the introduction this is what the vintage church knew about worship 
So let me break this down for you. I want to talk about worship specifically and what it is. The object of worship is God. I'm going to make four points. They're going to be pretty short, but I'm going to make four points. The object of worship is God. 24a, God is spirit. If we are to make him the we are to make him the object of our worship because he is alive and we can know him. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve an idolistic God. We serve a very real, very living, very powerful, very omnipresent God that is as living today as He's ever been. I want you to, I want you to understand that the God that you serve sees you. That He's alive today. That He's as powerful today as He's ever been. These Old Testament stories of where He did incredible things aren't things that He's not willing to do or not capable of doing anymore. He's still willing to move on our behalf the same way He lived on their behalf because He lives always. He is a living God. Psalms 48-84-2 says this, My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. You ever done that? I encourage you, press in. My heart and my flesh sing for joy. To who? To the living God. Why would you yearn for something that wasn't alive? 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. He is alive and can do all things. He is not an inanimate object in your life. Stop treating him like an inanimate object in your life. He's not the cross that you put on your mantle. He's not the cross you wear around your neck. He's not the statue that you have in your garden. He's none of those things. He is living and true and sees you where you are. Psalms 115.4 says, Their idols, theirs, not ours, because we don't serve an idol, we serve a living God, are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Can I tell you, your God is willing to speak to you if you'll listen, because that's what living things do. They have eyes but cannot see. Your God has eyes that roam the earth to search you, to find you, to be with you. They have ears but cannot hear. Let me tell you, God hears you when you pray. This is the confidence that we have. That anything we ask according to God's will, He hears us. And because He hears us, we have what we ask for. He hears us. They have noses, but they cannot smell. He smells the aroma of your worship. They have hands, but cannot feel. They have feet, but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And the sound that comes from the throat of our God will knock you down. We serve a living God. And when you couple that with the idea that not only is He living, but He is all-knowing, all-powerful, that He is beautiful, that He is the Creator God, that there is nothing bigger, faster, stronger 
than him. And he's willing to cover you like a chicken covers its hen, its chicks. He's willing to be a strong tower to you in your time of trouble. He's willing to comfort you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, the sticks and stones in your backyard have as much value as idols have. And they can do about as much for you. But you don't serve that guy. And because you don't serve that guy, you should worship the God that you do serve. In humility, in reverence, and in service. All the days of your life, every day of your life. Hmm. Because he's spirit, because he's alive, he's everywhere. Because a spirit doesn't have bodily form. He is everywhere. Which means that there's no place we can hide from him. Which means there's every place we can run to him. We hear this text out of um, Psalm 139 all the time. It reads like this. I say we hear it all the time. I don't know if you do or not, but I'm about to read it to you. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. No matter where we go, God is there. So many times this, this text is preached in, in the negative. God sees what you're doing. You need to act right. There's no place you can hide from Him. Which means that there's no place that you can't run to Him too. It's time that the people of God start running to God. Recognizing that He is everywhere at all times. That He is always there. That He is our refuge and strength. Psalms 46, 1 and 2. Just listen to the beauty of these words. Anybody else in here get excited about the Word? I wouldn't if it wasn't true. God is our refuge and strength. I'm glad. Because there's days, man, I, I don't have the strength to get out of bed. A very present, everybody say present, help in time of trouble. Therefore, because of that, we will not fear, though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake as its swelling pride, because God is everywhere, because God is spirit, we shall not fear. We shall be people of worship, people of humility. I know I keep repeating myself. But I heard one time you say it a hundred times before somebody hears it the first time. We serve in humility, service, and reverence to God. Not just in the church house, not just on the mountaintop, but wherever we are. And because He's eternally alive, which I believe I've proven to you in Scripture, and He's everywhere, which I've proven you to you in Scripture, we can worship Him and should worship Him whenever and wherever he may be, which is everywhere. We have to maintain a God consciousness. 
Some of you guys have heard me use this verbiage before. The greatest, one of the great, one of the greatest reasons why we struggle to worship is because we fail to realize that God is near. And when I say near, I don't mean near as in geographically near compared to St. Louis to, to the other side of Lebanon. I mean near like right here. God is near. You know why I worship? Because the God that is all the things that I just said, that is living, is true, is mighty, is powerful, is merciful, is right here. This is also the reason why I try not to sin. Because the same God that loves me, that is worthy of my worship, is worthy of my righteousness. Because it's His righteousness. Amen? We have to keep a God consciousness. Recognizing that there is no place we can't go that He isn't. I love this text out of Acts 17. Paul is talking to uh, the intellectual on Mars Hill, 24 through 28. You guys ever have a conversation with someone that's so intellectual you, you kind of got to get around their intellect, get to their spirit? He says, the God. So they would, they would go to Mars Hill and they would just spend all day talking about God and arguing and doing all this stuff and they had a God there for everything and they even had a, an idol to a God and its title was to an unknown God he said therefore in their ignorance this I proclaim to you and I'm going to start in 24 the God who made the world and all things in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. God consciousness. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of our own poets have said, for we also are his children. A couple things I want you to pay attention to here in 27. Grope for him and find him. Grope for him and find him. This is, an, this is a verb. This is an action to be taken. We should reach out and try to grab a hold of God all the time. You guys ever try to walk through the dark trying to grope for something like you know it's close? Let me tell you what you're not doing. In your living room, you're not groping for stuff in my living room. You're groping for stuff in your living room. You know why? Because your living room is near. My living room isn't. You grope for those things which are near. And the Bible tells us that God is near. We should grope for Him. Because in Him, our life is, our existence is. We live, move, and exist. As his children, worship him wherever you are. Because wherever you are, there he is also. Number two, the attitude and empowerment of worship is the spirit. 24b, he says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. I want you to pay attention to the text. 
The S isn't capitalized. Not that there's not a, 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 a motivation by the Holy Spirit to draw us to Him to worship. But you have to have a spirit. You have to have a personality. You have to have a soul yearning to worship Him. What is, which means in everything, as an external act, prayer without an engaged heart is pointless. This is what it means to worship in the Spirit, to have a constantly engaged heart. Pray without an engaged heart, and you prayed in vain. Sing without an engaged heart, and you sing in vain. Give without a engaged heart and you're giving in vain you think God needs your money you think God needs anything from you everything that he asks of us the confession the giving the songs of praise and adoration the prayer showing that we trust him enough to answer them without an engaged heart God has no time for that You know who God listens to? Those who are talking to Him, not at Him. You guys ever have anybody talk at you? About three minutes in, you're all, what? We wouldn't talk at someone we care about here. Why would we talk at the all-powerful, all-knowing God? Prayer, singing, giving. Capture the heart of God when it's given with a pure heart. Hmm. What does a heart of worship look like? Heart fully engaged in worship. I'm just going to run you through some scriptures. Or not scriptures, but just Bible stories. Just talk generally to you. You know what a heart of true worship looks like? It looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down to the king even at the expense of their own life. That's worship. No indication that they sung there. But that's worship. Worship is David being unwilling to not pray to God just because the king said so and being cast into a lion's den under a real and true... We, we know the end, so we don't pay it much attention. I've never seen someone torn apart by a lion, but I imagine it's incredibly painful. He was willing to suffer and struggle that. That's an engaged heart. Where's your heart at? Not just Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, but Abraham willing to sacrifice his son. That's what worship looks like. You know, yeah, but, but God didn't take him. Abraham didn't know that. Abraham trusted in the provision of God. Now he said, we'll be back. Which means he knew that that was the promise that God gave him. But he didn't know he wasn't going to have to kill him and then maybe God bring him back. But he had a heart for worship. A heart of reverence. A heart of humility. Willing to sit down and express that gratitude of worship to the God that he served. This is what our whole heart worship looks like. Is everybody with me? It looks like David dancing before the Lord regardless of whether it made his wife mad. 
Don't let me get you in trouble, though. Make sure it's before the Lord. What doesn't it look like? It doesn't look like Aaron's son offering strange, profane fire where God didn't authorize it. It doesn't look like us giving whatever it is we want to give, doing whatever it is we want to do. It doesn't look like Ananias and Sapphira with a prideful heart trying to show out who you are. It doesn't look like any of those things. It doesn't look like Cain offering the sacrifice that he was proud of. You have to have an engaged heart. We are called to have an engaged heart. For us, an engaged heart looks like not denying the truth of who you are and what you know in your workplace because it's convenient to do so or it's inconvenient to not do so. It's to not allow the environment to determine your conviction. That's what an engage. I want us to have an engaged heart of worship all the time. I feel like I'm over-talking it. But I don't know at the same time if it's possible to over-talk it. Because I feel like we've been so corrupted by what world the world thinks worship looks like. There's a reason. Did you know we're very purposeful here in our worship set specifically? But I give very little no direction to Caleb other than what I'm preaching about. And I expect him to pray about what the Holy Spirit would have him deliver to this congregation. You know why we don't have lights and fog machines and all this stuff? Not because I have a problem with that. That's just not what God's called us to do. Because I don't want you to get caught up in the light and the fog machines and all that stuff. I want you to be caught up in the presence of God. In humility and reverence. Because I want your heart to be fully engaged. Hmm. The foundation of worship is the truth. Whoever worships him must worship in spirit and in truth. Truth is more than facts. Truth doesn't, we don't act upon the truth. The truth acts on us. Jesus is the truth. He says this, John said to him, or Jesus said to him in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say he would show or teach the truth, but that he is the source of truth, the Word of God. The Bible says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh. This is the truth. Whether you like it or not, I read an article today where a major denomination is again, there's another one, accepting homosexuals into the priesthood. When we take our opinion and overlay it across the Word of God, whether it be in that area or any other area, you've denied the truth and you're not a worshiper. This is the truth. It acts on us. 
Jesus in his great prayer in John 17 says, Sanctify them by your word. You want to know how to be everything that God created you to be? Allow the word to sanctify you. Stop trying to act upon the word and let the word act upon you. Stop making your checklist and start letting God speak to you and show you what you need to take out of your life. And then count on him by the power of his Holy Spirit to do it. Because he will. Thank you, Lord, indeed. And the last point I'll make today is that true worship, the revelation of worship, is Christ Jesus. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's amazing that she started with, there will be a time. And he declared, I am that time. If we're people of worship, God will reveal himself to us. God loves you. He desires a relationship with you. He desires for you to know that he is present, an ever-present help in time of need. And no matter what you need, whether it be salvation or just to know that he does truly hold you in his righteous right hand, that he will strengthen you, that he will protect you, that he will watch after you, all of those things are found in a heart of worship, in a heart that pursues out of humility, service, and reverence. I think we could do better, church. I think we could start maintaining a God consciousness and stop leaving our worship at the church door, carried it into our workplaces, our homes, our grocery stores. Because ultimately, as the truth begins to bear weight on you, it'll begin to bear weight through you. And the people that see you will want what you have. This is my prayer over you today. That we become people who truly understand worship isn't an event. It's a life. Amen?